God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. Man, do we have a packed show for you today because we got all kinds of stuff, fireworks going off all over Capitol Hill. We got Mayorkas on the hot seat. Uh, he was on the hot seat in the Senate on the 18th and uh, before the House Committee on the 19th, Marjorie Taylor Greene's calling Mayorkas a liar, and he's uh, she's throwing some shade to uh, Swalwell with regard to Fang Fang, because Swalwell had the nerve to uh, try to uh, suggest that um, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene was defunding the FBI, uh, which is the, the the FBI. If they did the right, if they did the right thing. Uh, I would say fund them. But so long as they're a criminal organization, as they are, I mean, they are literally a uh, a a, um, a Gestapo, like a, a Gestapo police. I say get rid of them. You know, the FBI hasn't earned their stripes at all. They, the only stripes that the FBI has earned are jail stripes. They they all belong in jail, That those criminals, uh, the enforcer uh, for liberal power. Um you know, and then there's the liberals, man, everywhere you turn, whether it's their position on segregation in the 60s and their 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 racism and their founding of the KKK and their endorsement of all these uh, uh, horrible policies that have failed, whether it's civil rights policies that have failed the black community. I mean, if you take a look at society right now and the decay Everything seems to come from there. I mean, we listened to this clip uh, yesterday about the decay. It's the death cult. The liberals support the death cult. They give you a nice shiny brochure and a lot of morons that vote for Biden and and the liberals agenda um, tend to uh, not be able to see the forest from the trees. I would love to like sell them a Brooklyn Bridge or uh, play cards with them because they're so gullible. And they're so naive, and they're ill-informed. 
And we got to help them help us because we're smarter than they are, obviously, when it comes to these issues. Not, not about science or not about art or not about, not about everything. We're not. But we are smart, smarter than, uh, smarter than them about the issues because the people that are listening to this show and the people that tend to lean conservative understand the issues, the benefits of smaller government, um, the benefits of a stronger military, the benefits of a border security, the benefits of a strong, respected police force, the ills and the pitfalls associated with transgender sexuality and all these different things like pedophilia and human trafficking and drugs and drug abuse, all these things that are so important to the fabric of society because, you know, the country is only as good, the company is only as good as its employees. Have you ever heard that? The country is only as good as the foundation of its middle class, the fabric of society. And that's what the liberals are now attacking. Saul Alinsky style, Cloward and Piven style. Tear it down so you can build it back up in the way you see fit. And the, the, the origins of this lean back to not only Obama when he was talking with Joe the Plumber and said we're going to spread it around a little, not only uh, with regard to socialized medicine, which was the first pillar of taking over a society, uh, creating more and more leverage that the government has over you as a person. They meddle in your taxes. They meddle in your finances. They tell you what kind of health plan you can have and all kinds of other things. But he also uh, disliked, vehemently disliked the founding fathers. He did. He said it. It's a flawed document, he said. And he, he hired, and he elected, and he appointed and then nominated um, uh, progressive judges that would r- misinterpret, I reinterpret? No, I would say misinterpret what the founding fathers meant by the Constitution that they wrote. And, um, and they would interpret it in ways that would uh, chip away at our civil liberties. And the ACLU, for example, is one of the foremost and most original civil rights organizations. And yet we've never seen high nor hair of them when it came to the abuses of Trump's civil rights or the abuses of the J6 civil rights or the abuses of any conservative civil rights. So it's two standards of justice two standards of media, two standards of academia, two standards of all this stuff. It's all about indoctrination. Just like what we heard um, by the uh, uh, Alfred Russo, I think his name was, but the guy was talking about Rockefeller, and the Rockefellers, uh, this Nicholas Rockefeller said, we were behind women's lib movement. We were behind that liberal agenda. And the liberals, gullible, you know, they just ate it up. Never mind the fact that uh, as soon as women start getting into the workforce, they're falling into a trap. Yeah, okay, you are equal. Yes, you can work. And yes, you can do the same things as men. Get Great, got it. But where does that get you as a family? Where does that get you? 
That gets you dependent on dual income. Because as soon as you have both parents working in the workforce, that becomes the norm. Why? Because the standard, the threshold, is at that level now. It now no longer can you actually pay the rent or the mortgage and buy the car and feed the family with just one income because as soon as the women uh, added themselves to the tax base and the purchasing and the demand and the cash in the, in the uh, society, that obviously, Econ 101, creates inflation. So now you can never go back to a single parent home again. Because one parent can't pay for the price of the inflation. So you get two parents required. So then you get a nanny or you send your kids off to preschool. And what Nicholas Rockefeller was saying was that he, they, they were following, they were, they were setting the women up for a trap. And the trap was that they get into the workforce. It doubles the tax base. Great for the government. Strengthens the government. And at first, during that first 10, 20 years, it strengthened the families. Families were more prosper. They had more prosperity. But as soon as inflation and demand on supply caught up with it, you could never go back. And never again can you live the life of your of the great generation and the benefits that they had. And the net result of that is the indoctrination of your children in preschool at an earlier age, at those formative years. And fast forward to today, it's not enough. That's not enough. They got to actually have trans storytelling now. They got to have these sexualized books and they have to uh, take a look at um, having sex with underage children, and whether or not they, uh, if it's if it's uh, um, consent or not, we're seeing our our judicial system chip away at the protection of children, violating their civil liberties, and that actually ties into abortion and what is a fetus and. And uh, at what uh, at what point do you um, uh, abandon the whole idea of abortion? And of course, everybody has a different opinion on that. But I've heard this argument recently, just uh, the other day. Well, I, I basically saw an in, a, like an exchange, a question and an answer, and it was a it was a, it was a question where this woman, obviously very knowledgeable. She said, you know, it's at conception. And the, the girl, the student that asked the question said, she, you know, she basically didn't even know what a fetus was, whether it was alive or not. And of course, a fetus is alive. <laughs> so that's number one. Number two, when it's living, she said. And then, um, then she said, well, my one-year-old cannot survive on its own. If you left a one-year-old to fend for itself, a one-year-old could not make it. In this world, right? That I mean, that makes sense, right? So, is it that is that the threshold? So long as they could stand up on their own two feet and and work work a lemonade stand, I mean, when, how? I mean, what when is enough enough? Somebody needs to set some rules in place because the liberals. 
tend to say no boundaries to killing innocent women and children. I mean, they have no problem. But we're dealing with a very, very uh, Armageddon-like world right now. We have um, the Biden government, the Biden government, not, not really my government anymore. I don't recognize this government as a friendly government. I may be a U.S. citizen, yes. But frankly, you know, I'm confused about this war in Ukraine because... I think that Putin and, and, and Xi Jinping, China and Russia, the two nuclear powers in the world that are the most brutal dictators in the world, have some redeeming qualities next to Biden. Think about it. We're being led by the Macrons and the Trudeaus and the Bidens of the world and the Jacinda, Jacinda Ardern's from New Zealand and these these really, really wickedly mean and indoctrinated people that are all disciples from the Klaus Schwab School of World Economic Forum at Davos and the whole thing about corporate greed. They will kill their mothers for corporate money. They literally, there is not a step they wouldn't take so long as they get that money. And at some point, you got to say, what is, when is enough money enough? When is enough enough? He spent 50 years in Washington, D.C., Joe Biden did. And he still can't stop stealing. They have lived a privileged life, the richest of the rich, as public servants. And they just can't stop stealing. And we're going to cover the whistleblower at the, from the IRS we got an IRS whistleblower. we got funding the Taliban. we got Mayorkas opening the borders on purpose. we got Marjorie Taylor Greene calling Swalwell, um, uh, you know, a womanizer to Fang Fang, a Chinese spy. we got her calling Mayorkas a liar. we got Macron working with China. we got hypersonic exchange between Gates and the military. we got John Ratcliffe testifying about the COVID origins and admitting that Fauci lied. We got an exchange between Tucker and Elon Musk on artificial intelligence, which could destroy our world. We got Cheney to write, um, uh, promote, and we'll just get this one out of the way right now. Liz Cheney's writing a book. She wants to meddle in the 2024 election. She wants to publish it and publish this uh, book. To, it's just basically a trash Trump, dirt dirt on Trump book, right? Because she's so great, right? So Liz Cheney wants to, you know, sort of... The book isn't going to sell, number one. I'm not worried about the book. Nobody wants to buy a crap book like from Liz Cheney. Nobody cares what she has to say. Everybody hates her. And the only book sales that are ever going to flip on a Richter scale of any sort are going to be... Uh, mandated purchases. There's going to be donors that are going to buy up 10,000 books. And by the way, I mean, I happen to know this firsthand, firsthand, that when an organization, like someone at the top of a nonprofit organization writes a book, they're mandated by the publisher to buy like 15,000 books. They have to buy that. They have to do it. It's part of the contract. And then they just give them away or sell them off or get their, to recoup their money. But they have to make a major purchase. And that might be $60,000 right up front. 
Now, they might get a million or they might get 500000 They might get a lot, but they have to plan some seed money to get a book from a good publisher. And then we got this DeSantis thing. Okay, so let's get Cheney out of the way. I'm going to say this. Whoever her publisher is, Liz Cheney, I'm going to say it right here, right now. Liz Cheney, guess what? Whoever her publisher is, I will never, ever read another one of those books because all they're doing is condoning a disruption of another election and soiling all over the fabric of our country and our free and fair elections that we're supposed to have that we never get anymore because of the election machines, the Soros DAs turning a blind eye to election fraud and the the uh, COVID hoax and the, uh, you know, the whole mail-in balloting thing and the signature verification thresholds set to 10% and the uh, ballot harvesters. So long as we have all that, forget it. It's, it's anybody's game. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to say whoever's publishing Cheney's book, look for the publisher and never read another and send them a note and send them a note. Send them a note before she publishes the book. Find out who it is, or I'll find it out, and I'll report it. And we'll write them a note and say, look, you published this book, and we'll never read another one of your books. Ban so-and-so. Whoever that book publisher is, ban it. From your reading list. And then there's the DeSantis thing, to talk about the 2024 election some more. DeSantis, nothing wrong with DeSantis. He's a good guy. It's not his time. He needs to focus on Florida. He needs to cede to Trump. He needs to endorse Trump. And he needs to get on the MAGA train because the Trump train's left the building and there's no way Trump is losing. No way uh, DeSantis is going to have the chops. But I will tell you this, because when you see the funding, and what they're saying is, Trump is getting all the endorsements and DeSantis is getting all of the money. Oh, okay, that reminds me of Jeb Bush, doesn't it? Remember when Trump ran against Jeb Bush? Jeb Jeb Bush had $100 million and Trump had next to nothing, but everybody loved Trump and everybody couldn't stand the Bushes. The Bush dynasty ended right there and then. So what I'm going to say is this, And it's an easy benchmark, and I want everybody to pay attention to this. And I want everybody to sort of swallow this and try to figure it out if this is good for you. Because I know a lot of people love DeSantis, and I know a lot of people love Trump, but you got to make a choice, right? Here's the litmus test. I'm going to give it to you right here, right straight. This has got to be your litmus test. To get corporations out of our elections, because we know that the World Economic Forum is controlled by the corporations and the politicians, and they marry them two together, and it's BlackRock corporations, uh, and it's Vanguard corporations that, that basically dictate what the narrative is for the media, or they won't advertise. They dictate what the terms are going to be with the politicians, or they won't fund the campaigns. We got to get corporate money out of elections. And you know who said that recently? Robert Kennedy Jr., who threw his hat into the ring 
and is now running as a Democrat for the 2024 election and has gotten about 18 percent of Biden's vote already. I think he can actually beat Biden and I think he could beat Gavin Newsom. He's a centrist. And by the way, if he were to get the nomination for the Democrat Party, and if you're a Republican, you might want to try to slip over there in the Democrat primary somehow, some way, and and get it to be that uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. is the Democrat nominee because not that he would be the easiest to beat. He might be the hardest to beat. But you could probably rest assured that with Robert Kennedy Jr., you couldn't really lose as a country. You would be almost guaranteed a win over what we have now because Robert Kennedy Jr. is head and shoulders and by far better than Hillary Clinton, Gavin Newsom, or or uh, Joe Biden, any of the woke, and he would do it his way. And so the consolation prize, if Trump were to lose or DeSantis were to lose, would be Robert Kennedy Jr. And that wouldn't be so bad. It wouldn't be nearly as bad as Joe Biden, Gavin Newsom, or Hillary Clinton, or Michelle Obama, or anything like that. And you know it, because these people are Saul Alinsky uh, American-hating destroyers of our Constitution. And Robert Kennedy Jr. is sort of like that old-school Democrat that I think Democrats miss, Democrats themselves miss. But getting back to DeSantis and Trump, my litmus test, and this is what I want you to hear, is this. I'm going to say it right here, right now, loud and proud. I'm going to say that I am throwing my endorsement to the opposite candidate of Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney. So whoever Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney uh, funnel money to, I'm going to choose the other candidate. Okay? So that's my litmus test. And I hope that everybody adopts that litmus test that's listening. It's a pretty easy thing. It's a, it's a taster. You don't even have to debate. You don't even have to argue with your friend, your fellow Republican friends, right? Make that your litmus test. I think it's a good idea. I just came up with it yesterday. It just floated through my head, and I tweeted it. I tweeted it, and I Facebooked it. And so that's what I, I think is the right answer. I think that the right answer to this, you know, Hopkins, Hopkins choice or this taster's choice is basically if... Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney fund the DeSantis campaign, vote for Trump. If Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney fund the Trump campaign against DeSantis, vote for DeSantis. I actually think it's going to be that they are funding DeSantis and that Trump will end up getting my vote. That's what I think. But um, I think that's the way that's going. But hey, listen, that's what you need to do. So we just talked about two 2024 issues just now. We talked about the Liz Cheney book. We talked about that litmus test. Whoever Paul Ryan and Mitt Romney endorse, choose the other candidate. That's all I'm saying. Okay? Now, the third and final item on the 2024 train for presidential elections is going to be this. It's going to be the statement that Robert Kennedy Jr. made. I, I'm a big fan of Robert Kennedy Jr. Of course, 
Trump gets my vote over Robert Kennedy Jr. any day and Sunday, and probably DeSantis too. Yeah, of course DeSantis too. But I like I like Robert Kennedy. He, he actually appeared on Tucker last night. So that's kind of interesting. Um, I uh, retweet a lot of Robert Kennedy Jr. stuff, especially on his position on vaccines. I can't say enough about this guy in that. I think his voice, you know, his voice is going to create some problems for him. Uh, I don't know what happened to his vocal cords. Must have happened a long time ago. But he's got a problem with his voice and it doesn't carry well. But let's take a listen to this 30 second sound clip about his announcement. He says, so it says Robert F. Kennedy Jr. announces his candidacy for president. This is what happens when you censor somebody for 18 years. I got a lot to talk about. They shouldn't have shut me up for that long because now I'm really going to let loose on them for the next 18 months. They're going to hear a lot from me. I love it. I love it. Finally, some common sense enters the Democrat arena. And it will be very interesting. It'll be extraordinarily interesting to see how Democrats respond to Robert Kennedy Jr. Because he's a real threat. And let me just say one thing. He's a threat to the centrists. And if you take a listen, like on Tucker, he was showing this, how the mainstream media was sort of dissing him because he came out against the COVID vaccines, right? And what Tucker was suggesting, and he was right when he did this, he was basically saying the media is the biggest sellout to big pharma, Pfizer money, Pfizer money, right? Moderna money, Pfizer money, World Economic BlackRock money, right? World Economic Forum money. Um, they are the biggest sellouts you could just see. And they were trashing Robert Kennedy Jr.'s announcement. And it's all because Robert Kennedy was one of the biggest voices against the vaccines. And the vaccines were one of the biggest sources of income that kept CNN and MSNBC afloat. So do the math and realize that when you listen to Chuck Scarborough, or not Chuck Scarborough, um, Joe Scarborough, Chuck Scarborough is from my New York days when I lived in New York City. He was a Channel 4 uh, anchorman. Um, but in any case, uh, all these liberal pundits over on these other networks, right? The lamestream media, uh, they're just carrying the water for money, right? They, there's not an ounce of truth or honesty in these news outlets, not not one ounce. They don't care about America. They care about, they just care about themselves. They're not living for anything greater than themselves. That's a terrible life to live. But let's take a listen to this. This is what, this is what happens when you censor somebody for 18 years. shut me up that long because now I'm going to really let loose on them for the next 18 months they're going to hear a lot from me so his website is kennedy24.com kennedy24.com check it out Um, I like the guy and uh, you know of course he's a democrat 
He's running for the Democrat seat. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> let's see. If I had a choice between voting for him, uh, voting for Mitch, Rom- Mitch McConnell or Mitt Romney or Robert Kennedy Jr., what do you or Liz Cheney? Liz, Ch- <laughs> I could go on with this, right? I could just peel that onion all day long, right? But you know what you know what I'm saying. Uh, I would root. The only people that would get my vote ahead of Robert Kennedy Jr. and he's a Democrat. I've ne- I don't think I've ever re- voted Democrat. But um, yeah, of course, DeSantis and Trump would get my vote over over Robert Kennedy Jr. But um, but I like the guy. He's pretty good. And if he if he were the Democrat nominee going into 2024 election day, fraud or no fraud, I don't think you would. Uh, by the way, I don't think you would see the fraud because the globalists wouldn't help rig the election because they wouldn't care about Robert Kennedy Jr. Because he's not one of them. You see, he's a standard bear Democrat. He's not carrying the water for the globalist agenda. So you would not see half the rigging. That's number one. Think about it. that. That thought just came to my head. That would be an interesting dynamic right there and then. Aha. That's interesting. Um, if you could just see what's going on inside my head about that issue, um, I'm probably going to address that and peel that onion a little bit more. Uh, but it's a new thought. Um, that would be something. Because I do believe that the election rigging is coming from a Soros... Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, election rigging um, source uh, that's filled with corporate money. And I don't think any of that would be energized with a Robert Kennedy Jr. candidacy. You see what I mean? That would be interesting. And and the other interesting little dynamic is Trump is friend was good friends with John John Kennedy and friendly with the Kennedys. And uh, much more than, say, Bill Gates, because Bill Gates and Robert Kennedy Jr. were at odds with each other. And uh, there was that famous clip with Bill Gates saying that he didn't want Robert Kennedy to be on the panel because that would be a no-starter. Because, you know, God forbid you question the integrity of these vaccines. Bill Gates didn't want that. Of course, Robert Kennedy has been a staunch anti-vaxxer. And I believe... The Trump has mostly, for the most of his life, been that, um, and was, I think, coerced into this vaccine thing with a pack of lies and misinformation given to him by Fauci. We're going to learn a little bit about that today. Um, and there was a lot of power going against Trump on that issue. And I think Trump is sort of stuck on the vaccine train because... Um, I don't think originally he would have endorsed it, but I think there was something, some mechanism that pushed him in that direction. Um, and now if he flip-flops on it, it makes him a flip-flopper, and I don't think Trump likes to be a flip-flopper. Anyway, look, we're going to switch gears. We're going to go to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Um, there was two different things going on. One, she calls Mayorkas a liar, and two, she uh, calls Eric Swallowswell out uh, to the carpet. Right, let's take a listen to the first clip. I'm also this concerned. is this is Eric Swalwell, 
Uh, reading a D- Donald Trump tweet, he says, Republicans in Congress should defund the DOJ and FBI until they come to their senses. The Democrats have totally weaponized law enforcement in our country and are viciously. I can't believe he- that's a perfectly good tweet, right? Great tweet. Um, then he shows another slide and he says, FBI, defund the FBI. And so she's trying to accuse Marjorie Taylor Greene of defunding the police, right? So. Let's take a listen to this exchange. I'm also concerned about people on this committee and their own anti-police rhetoric. This is a defund the FBI campaign effort. That was quite entertaining from someone that had a sexual relationship with a Chinese spy. And everyone knows it. But I moved to take our words down. Completely inappropriate. Yeah, stand by just a second while we research the rule. Um, Give me just a second. The chair uh, recognizes the gentlelady from Georgia and asks if she would like to retract those words. No, I will not. I'm also concerned about... (laughs) Right? That's great. I love it. That was uh, a lot of theater there. Now let's take a listen to this one. She's talking to Mayorkas. Mayorkas is lying through his teeth, as usual. Congresswoman, let me assure you that we're not letting it go on. We are fighting this. Scourge. No, I reclaim my time. You're a liar. You are letting this go on, and the numbers prove it. You can't lie about the facts, Secretary, Secretary Mayorkas. While you live in denial and sit over there with this attitude that you're doing everything let's right, you stand. are killing let's Americans stand. with your policies. And that is a fact. Your policies are killing people, over 300 Americans a day, over 300, and it's outrageous. Let me ask you another question. We talk about terror. The the ranking member is recognized. You know, we can disagree. All right, so then, you know, the Democrat congressman uh, goes off and says, you know, I want that retracted, and then they get into this big argument. And uh, it's pretty pretty amazing, right? All right, so we got more to this um, that we're going to play. I got a clip here that I want to play that I thought was really, really brilliant, uh, really good. Um, and this is a couple of things. I've been talking a lot about open borders is slave labor, just like climate is slave labor. Open borders is domestic slave labor and election fraud. That's what that is. And then... Um, uh, uh, climate is basically pushing all manufacturing to the areas of the world where the population is the greatest, like China and India, and basically exploiting slave labor there. So these multinational corporations, you know, get this cheap labor. They get workers for underage workers for twenty dollars a day, uh, rather than having to pay workers in the West twenty dollars an hour to do the same job and and then they're going to get ai to do even more and that's why you're going to see corporations pushing ai automation slave labor because it gives them profit it, it's a it's a huge profit thing for them and it's going to spell the end of us as a society uh, because technology is moving too fast for our evolving selves Right, we can't. We're not evolving at the pace of technology, and technology is f- far surpassing in evolution 
the evolution of technology is far surpassing the evolution of man. Okay, that's the best way to say it. The evolution of technology is far surpassing the evolution of man. And what are we going to do about it? Really important. But let's take a listen to this clip. Mr. Secretary, you took an oath where you swore to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Okay, he's talking to Secretary Mayorkas. This is just just a bamboozle of... The lousy job that Mayorkas has done, he's done it all on purpose. And well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office. Your job is to protect the homeland. And one of those obvious duties is to secure the United States sovereign borders and to implement the laws duly passed by Congress. However, you have not secured our borders, Mr. Secretary, and I believe you've done so intentionally. There is no other explanation for the systematic dismantling and transformation of our border into a lawless and dangerous open border. You've asserted in the past that it's an issue of resources, but the numbers show a very different story. In just the two years of your tenure, more people have crossed our southern border into the United States than the previous 12 years of two administrations combined. Did the budget suddenly decrease and result in this massive surge? No. Did the number of Border Patrol agents suddenly get cut in January of 2021? No. What got cut were 89 effective policies. As Chief Ortiz told us in our hearing in McAllen, Texas, we don't have a resource crisis. We have a policy crisis. We will fulfill our obligation to the American people and our oath to the Constitution. Secretary Mayorkas, need I remind you that Congress makes the laws and the executive branch is obligated to follow those laws? Apparently, the answer to that question is yes, because since you've become secretary, you've disregarded the laws written by this branch of government, laws passed by both Republicans and Democrats. Behind me, you can see a list of the ways you've made our border and our country less secure. You intentionally ended all construction of and contracts to build the border wall system. You attempted to terminate the migrant protection protocols remain in Mexico policy, and when these efforts failed you, refused to fully enforce the policy. You illegally and without congressional approval created mass parole programs for countries like Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela, and expanded the use of the CBP-1 app to facilitate these programs. This is ultimately playing a shell game, Mr. Secretary, wherein those who would otherwise come illegally with no justification for entry now get to enter under the pretense of legality. You lowered the credible fear standards so even illegal border crossers who've broken the laws of the United States can claim asylum despite knowing that nine out of ten claims will be found illegitimate. You instructed ICE agents not to detain or deport the vast majority of individuals illegally in the country, while also stating that the crime of being in the country illegally is by itself no longer grounds for removal. You just made that up. You refused to detain illegal aliens pursuant to the Immigration and Nationality Act and instead allowed them to be processed in mass into the United States. You moved northern border agents to the southwestern border, leaving our northern border vulnerable which has led to an increase in encounters in some sectors as much as 900%. And finally, you ended Title 42 in May without any plan to deal with the surge. What's this gotten us? 
Well, here behind me, you can see the results. Unfortunately, the facts are overwhelming. More than 5 million encounters at the southwest border since President Biden took office. 1.4 million gotaways, known gotaways, who evaded U.S. Border Patrol agents since President Biden took office. And these are only the ones we know about. We learned from U.S. Border Patrol Chief Ortiz that these numbers are likely 20% higher. 80 individuals on the terrorist watch list have crossed the southwest border so far in FY23. 14,148 pounds of fentanyl seized in 23, enough to kill the entire U.S. population. The U.S. population you swore to defend and protect over nine and a half times. And this is only the amount we know about. We have no idea how much of this poison is actually being brought into the country by drug smugglers taking advantage of our poorest border and your lax policies. Last month, this committee held a hearing in McAllen where Chief Ortiz stated under oath that DHS does not have the operational control of our borders, contradicting testimony that you previously gave before this committee. Chief Ortiz went on to say that five of our nine sectors of our southwest border are under the control of the drug cartels. Unimaginable. Secretary Mayorkas, your reckless border policies are enriching the drug cartels, and these cartels are laughing in our face. They find it amusing that the most powerful nation on earth is not only unwilling to stop them, but is actively facilitating their business model. Unfortunately, your admission during the March 28-23 Senate Judiciary hearing that you're unaware that cartels are using illegal aliens as decoys to detract Border Patrol agents while they smuggle illicit contraband and illegal aliens across the border only emboldens these cartels. Honestly, your admission reflects incompetence. Imagine a general officer in the Army who has no clue about the strategy of his enemy. We'd fire that general on the spot. Mr. Secretary, every time you fail to acknowledge that this is a crisis, you lose even more credibility with the men and women of DHS, to say nothing of the American people. As you ignore the crisis at our border, thousands of Border Patrol agents and CBP officers are on the front lines, putting their lives at risk to keep our country safe. And what kind of treatment do they receive from you? They're accused of whipping migrants crossing the border. And now we find out that your department knew the whole time that this report was bogus. You went on national television and vilified these agents of the Horse Patrol unit. These men and women are proud to fulfill their duty to secure our border, and they do this with no thanks, no support, and quite honestly, dishonesty from this administration. It's downright shameful. I don't blame our Border Patrol agents for feeling the way they do about you. As, former, as a former Army officer and doctor and CEO, I know that when a leader loses the trust of those he's entrusted to command and serve, it's over. Now, let's turn our attention to your budget proposal for DHS. Mr. Secretary, this budget proposal is an insult to every American. It fails to take seriously many of the most pressing national security threats, especially our wide-open border. President Biden himself likes to quote, and, and I quote him, don't tell me what you value, show me your budget, and I'll tell you what you value, end quote. Well, this budget clearly shows us what this administration values, and it's not the safety of the American people. Like your past budgets, like your policy decisions, and your actions, this proposed DHS budget has the singular purpose of continuing to encourage people to come into this country illegally. Here behind me, you can see a 
this very clearly. Pet projects at the DHS, we're going to add $4 billion. But for CBP, we're going to cut their budget by $1.2 billion. U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, the folks that move people into the United States, we're going to give them another $1. billion. That's what you want to do. ICE, you're going to decrease by $421 million. This is all about moving people into the country and not about border security. The objective of this budget is not to secure our border, but to force CBP personnel to process illegal aliens into the interior of the United States. The proposed $4.7 billion Southwest Border Contingency Fund is just another gimmick to spend American taxpayer dollars on a crisis you created with the goal of processing illegal aliens quicker out of DHS custody so that you can settle them into the interior of our country. The administration's saying the quiet part out loud by requesting funding for border management instead of border security, you're signaling you have no intention of securing our borders. Instead of spending money, spending any money on wall construction that would actually have both a practical and deterrent impact, the administration has proposed spending 3.9 billion 3.9 billion of DHS money on a climate resilience program. Meanwhile, you propose spending a mere 40 million dollars to combat fentanyl that's devastating our country. Do you think the parents and families who will continue to lose their children, their brothers, their sisters to fentanyl will take comfort in knowing that DHS has at least added more to the massive money already spent by this administration on climate change? I don't think so. Mr. Secretary, I could go on and on, but I will yield. I do hope you've come here today ready to be honest with the American people. Well, he wasn't honest and he never is honest. He's a liar. He's a biden uh you know guy um but here take a listen to this this is what i was talking to you about slave labor listen to this i'd also like to enter into the record a couple of new york times articles oddly enough written by hannah dreyer this one is uh published on february 25th 2023 it's titled alone and exploited migrant children work brutal jobs across the u.s i just want to Quote from this article, but as more and more children have arrived, the Biden White House has ramped up demands on staffers to move children quickly out of the shelters and release them to adults. Caseworkers say they rush through the vetting process. It goes on, data obtained by the Times show that over the last two years, the agency could not reach more than 85,000 children. Overall, the agency lost immediate contact with about a third of the migrant children. It goes on. It's going to be a business for some of these co-sponsors, uh, said one of the uh, people trying to place these folks, one of the caseworkers. But the caseworkers at those agencies said the HHS regularly ignored obvious signs of labor exploitation. In interviews with more than 60 caseworkers, most, most independently estimate that about two-thirds of all unaccompanied children end up working full-time. It goes on, as the government, we've turned a blind eye toward their trafficking, says D- Doug Gilmer, the head of Birmingham, Alabama, Office of Homeland Security Investigations, a federal agency that often becomes involved with immigrant cases. Mr. Gilmore teared up as he recalled finding 13-year-olds working in meat plants, 12-year-olds working at suppliers for Hyundai and Kia, and children who should have been in middle school working at commercial bakeries. Mr. Secretary, do you know how many young girls are sex trafficked? Are you following any of those cases? Do you have HSI investigating that form of involuntary servitude because of your open border policies? Uh, Senator, um, our Center for Combating Human... 
All right, and I got more. Uh, this is uh, Josh Hawley. That was uh, Ron Johnson from This is from the New York Times. Thousands of Hawley. children have ended up in punishing jobs across the country, working overnight in slaughterhouses, replacing roofs, operating machinery in factories, all in violation of child labor laws. For example, there's a young girl named Carolina from Guatemala. She is 15 years old. What does she do? She packages Cheerios overnight at a factory. She says, sometimes I get tired and I feel sick. The Times goes on, her stomach often hurt. She wasn't sure if that was because of a lack of sleep or the stress of the incessant roar of the machines or her own worry. The Times goes on, far from home, many of these children are under intense pressure to earn money. They have to send cash back home to their families while often being in debt to their sponsors, quote-unquote. For what? For smuggling fees, rent, and living expenses. One individual interviewed by the Times said this, and I'm still quoting, it's the new child labor. You're taking children from another country and putting them into indentured servitude. I could go... So the same thing that they're doing in China, they're doing... Uh, the same thing they're doing in China, they're doing in America. No different. It's the open borders does one does the domestic slave labor and the climate initiatives, the hoax, the climate hoax and the Paris agreements and the TPP agreements all uh, basically pretty much ban, in essence, ban manufacturing in America and promote manufacturing in so-called developing nations like China so that they don't have to uh, worry about climate nearly as much as the West until the year 2030 or beyond. And they're just going to ramp it up. And they're doing all like thousands of percent more uh, emissions than, than their competitors. So we got another story where they're, um, we're funding the Taliban and uh, this is a story, a uh, quick story here. Let's take the a United listen. States has appropriated $2 billion for Afghanistan assistance since the withdrawal. And a further $3.5 billion may be available through this newly created uh, Switzerland-based Afghan fund. Unfortunately, as I sit here today, I cannot assure this committee or the American taxpayer we are not currently funding the Taliban. And skids of cash are floating around in the desert. I mean, it's, it's just a mess. Macron is working with Beijing on secret plan for peace deal between Ukraine and Russia. The United States is completely irrelevant. In fact, they're fueling the, the, uh, and escalating the environment. Um, Matt Gates writes, Remember when Secretary of Defense Austin suggested to the House... Uh, armed Services Committee that America was not behind the China regarding hypersonics, not, not behind. The recent leak of classified Pentagon documents says otherwise. So there is this heated exchange here. Let's take a listen. Behind in hypersonics, we failed to deter Russia last year. So what do you, what do you, what do you mean we're behind in hypersonics? How, how do you? Okay, how do you, who do you, who's ahead in hypersonics? How, how do you? How do you? How do you? How do you make that assessment? This is a yeah. hypersonic, which makes it almost impossible to take down, right? Right. China has tested a new hypersonic missile that can defeat our aircraft carriers and our missile defense. In other words, we spent 30 years building aircraft. So the Pentagon leaks uh, indicate 
that Austin was just flat out lying, right? So that's one thing. Um, and it goes on. I could play further clips. Um, also, we have CIA analysts allegedly kept quiet because their findings supported Trump's policies uh, regarding um, COVID. Let's take a listen to this. As a career non-political official, the ombudsman found, quote, Analysts appeared reluctant to have their analysis on China brought forward because they tend to disagree with the Trump administration's policies, saying, in effect, I don't want our intelligence used to support those policies, end quote. To this day, the CIA, which I believe is unquestionably the world's premier spy agency with an unrivaled capacity to acquire information, has continued to state that it does not have enough information to make any formal assessment. To put it bluntly, I think this is unjustifiable and a reflection, not that the agency can't make an assessment with any confidence, but that it won't. Some three and a half years later, the only plausible assessment the agency could make with any level of confidence is that a virus which killed over a million Americans originated in a Chinese lab whose research included work for the Chinese military. And such an assessment would obviously have enormous geopolitical implications that I believe the current administration does not want to face head on. You know, we have so much information related to this. And uh, uh, the DNI Ratcliffe, uh, John Ratcliffe, calls out conflicts of interest in the science community and CIA in assessing the origins. A lab leak assessment was initially labeled falsely and falsely reported with near unanimity as a conspiracy theory by conflicted scientists and mainstream press while also being censored as disinformation by social media giants. So uh, the conspiracy theorists were right. And the people, you know, behind what we've been saying for years was right. Um, So there's a lot going on there. Um, We're not going to get to the AI thing today, but um, I wanted to make sure I covered some of the uh, some of the bits. Uh, so there's a lot we didn't cover today that we wanted to cover. Uh, we ran out of time. I spent too much time probably on the 2024 election. Those first three stories in the beginning of the show, but uh, but we're going to cover the rest of it. And uh, this stuff is great. Um, this IRS whistleblower. I can't wait to hear what he has to say with regard to FBI covering up for Biden their investigation of the Hunter laptop and the pay-to-play schemes of basically selling out America. That's going to be the next story, the drop, and that's going to be a huge. Um, So we'll see what happens there. But that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, Be sure to check out magapac.org, magapac.org. And make a donation if you can, because they support Red State Talk Radio and the Scott Adams Show. Uh, to help us advance America First policies that make America great. And also uh, use Red State over at MyPillow.com and check out ShenYun.com for their shows. We'll see you next time on the radio.